HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. I am so excited to finally sit down with one of our favorites, Chef Ashley Christensen, chef and proprietor of AC Restaurants in Raleigh, North Carolina, in advance of the annual Hot Luck Festival happening in Austin. This Monday weekend, we'll both be there, and if you want to join, there are tickets available. We've put a link in the episode description. We chat with Ashley about her decades-plus support of the culinary community, the reopening of Fox Liquor Bar, and her plans for attending concerts this summer season. We then dig back into the archives when we met up with Brooklyn Bluegrass Buskers, Zach and Scott, better known as Men Animation. The duo went from the subway to the studio at Roberta's and gave us a raucous performance. And finally, we would love to dedicate this episode to our grandma. Grandma Magda passed away this week, and we will celebrate her life with her food, her stories, and her love for people. We miss you and we love you, Grandma. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Ashley, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. It's great to meet you and to chat with you. You as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I've been reading a lot about your career and I've known a lot about your work over the years. And there's so many different ways that I was thinking about starting this because you've done work with charities and you've built a restaurant group and you've mentored chefs and you've been an official, unofficial life coach to so many people in the industry. (laughs) But the thing that I keep coming back to the through line is this idea of building and being part of the community. And I want to ask, how much is this idea and the reality of community important to you and and what you do with your life and your work? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say extremely. And I think in getting into cooking and, you know, really I think hospitality as a whole mm. and, and realizing that that was like my life's work. Um, I remember working as a chef and just, you know, kind of one day looking up and realizing what a wonderful thing mm. you know, it is to like get to as hard as this business is, but to get to get up every day and do this thing that I get to kind of sculpt and, and find ways for it to evolve and grow. And, and the work is like, never done, but it's like always, even on hard days, it's always fulfilling, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. um, And and I think I started to see the way that community, um, you know, that folks naturally engage with, uh, with our work, you know, and, and that if, if you think about, you know, doing a number of different things and trying to figure out how it can reach people, Mm. food and hospitality just have this really, uh, by nature, connection with the place that you are from the things that you cook and uh, to the people that you feed. And so um, realizing that there is this really, I think this um, trust that uh, that exists and this this relationship that exists among you and your community when when food is what you do. Um, you know, I, I think that realizing that is to me, it, it gives me a lot of gratitude, right? Mm. Like being able to, and, and that gratitude to me, I've always felt sort of this, that a natural place to point that gratitude is by looking at ways through the craft of food and hospitality that I can engage further with my community, especially in places of needs. And, and you know, I think a really big um, point of conversation is, uh, or something I think about a lot is like the definition of community being right, you know, right. in hospitality. Well, yeah. that's a really broad community. And so there's always this, you know, this thought process around, well, how do I focus my work um, in the place that I live to serve the people who, you know, come in and, and dine in the restaurants mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. work in the restaurants. And, um, and, and then there's also that, that broad reach of community, right. Where, um, someone like Chris Shepard, who has Southern Love Smith, Chris. You know, yeah. like yeah. an amazing, a great friend. Uh, but this idea that like, you know, I'll go, I, I think there's something really neat to this and it, it, it uh, is something really fun to pull apart. Like I'll go and cook in Texas with Chris for an auction item that we did together for Southern Smoke. That's now a national cause, right? So there's mm-hmm. that national community, yep. but yep. starting as a, a Houston community focused event and was as important to me then uh, as it is now as a national event, because I know when I'm there cooking with Chris for things that he loves in his community, while we're cooking, we're talking about this thing that we're going to be doing in my yeah. community. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love that um, 
it's it's I think of it as this really beautiful uh, and and the the score is always even, but there is sort of this floating currency among mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chefs who who help each other out with you know things that are in our in our own communities. So um, I think it's it's a really neat neat thing. And like I said, it's very fluid. It's not like, hey, come do this because I did this for you. No, no, no. We just start this this dialogue and this back and forth, and we go back. The other thing that's really great about that is we go back and forth. And we learn from each other uh, in ways to approach community work in in newly thoughtful ways. You know. Yes, and you know it's so great to hear you talk about now have this perspective, but you've also been really open with how that wasn't always the case. And I was I was yeah. uh, reading an excerpt from um, the 2019 SFA Winter Symposium that you gave, and you're talking about how in the early days even though you had this rapid extension and you built these restaurants and you built this stuff out, you felt very isolated and you felt like you couldn't turn to people. And, and I get that because I see a lot of times, especially like on social media or the way that you have to present yourself, it's, it's mm-hmm. just like, I don't need help. Like, I don't need your support. I, I need to be the one who holds it all together and I'm the face and I'm also keeping yeah. the books. And I'm running in this. What was the ultimate moment or when did you really realize that you could lean into the community, that it could be this flow. It could be this reciprocal thing. And what advice would you give to others who maybe are feeling right now like it's okay to ask for help? In fact, part of why you do this is you build a team and you can really make things happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think one of my thoughts early on about like local community for me was that it was sort of a difficult place to lean on folks, but also just to really in, engage with folks, mm. um, having experienced, uh, you know, and, and I feel very much that the, the success that we have and, you know, experienced has been hard earned over a long period of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll be 47 in August and I've been cooking since I was 19 years old, you know, and, and I've been a restaurant owner for uh, more than 15 years now. Seen some things, seen some yeah, things. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think that like you, you begin to get, be, be celebrated and, you know, everyone looks at you like you're really successful. And yeah. I think oddly enough in a, and, or maybe not oddly, I don't know, an emerging um, food community, when you become successful, people first off, like don't feel super comfortable reaching out to you for things that they're working through, uh, or they do and do a lot of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, but I think that people, you know, my experience was, you know, people were really arm's length with me about, you know, it, it, I didn't have a lot of food community mm. um, early on. And I think it was just kind of like folks were like, oh, well, everyone's always writing about these guys, you know? Right. And meanwhile, right, right, right. when people are asking us about things, we're talking about other people all the time. And, and you know, and so I started to, you mentioned SFA mm-hmm. and getting involved with SFA. Um, I just started to form these really like genuine connections and, and relationships around like having a really good time around food mm. where you weren't in, you know, for a long time, I'd been trying to like go like, oh, it's not, we're not in competition with the people down the street. We want to be complimentary to what other people are doing, but that's like, uh, you know, 25 years ago, that was a harder message to get across. <laughs> Folks who were like, you know, what's, you know, 
what is my food community, you know, and right, everyone's right, right. Looking and no one felt like safe enough in it to like, you know, take care of each other and look out for each other. Yeah. Just a different, different time. And, and so, but what I, I really, you know, a, a, something that inspired me a lot was forming friendships around enjoying being around food with other people, like getting to know people that way. So I think about like Sean Brock mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Wilson, like those are two mm-hmm. folks that I, I met at SFA and are, are great, great friends in food and, you know, um, and, and great personal friends. And, you know, I, I just, it's, it's funny that I, I started to realize that I would call these guys mm. and talk about something that I was working through in a dish or in an approach to hospitality. And, and then I realized like, oh, wow, I've got all these really neat food friends in food but they don't live where I live. So how do I start to like yes, work on yeah, building yeah. more community around food where I am? And, you know, um, I have a lot of pride for the things that my team and, and I have accomplished together. Um, I have a whole lot of pride for the way that our community has grown as well. And for me, like a really, na- I, the things that I would experience in going to a food event like Southern Foodways Alliance Symposium, which was really the first thing, I think really the first big food event that I went to, you mm. know, and that was very early, early uh, days of pools. Um, and, you know, b- being there and just realizing all these different, you know, what writers had to share and say, you know, in a, in a way about, you know, poetry about food, mm-hmm, um, you mm-hmm. know, how interested all these journalists who did not live in the South were in Southern food, you know, and, and that gave me a, you know, a want to understand more about the South beyond the part of the South that I lived in and then helped me to do a deeper dive into the part of the South that, that I do live in. So, um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, um, and just like these relationships and direct like food community, it was really fun to come. I realized like, okay, if people are like, feeling a little funny about me being someone who's experiencing success. What if we could host events that weren't about me, that were about mm, bringing mm-hmm, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and sharing this guest chef with the community. So we spent a long period of time doing something that we called stir the pot. Uh, it helped to underwrite documentary film initiative for Southern clients. And what we would do is invite the chef in and we would cook as like their support team, but it would be their menu. And, uh, you know, uh, we would do like a, a dinner where we'd ma- raise most of the funds to like pay for bringing that person here um, to do- to donate most of the money that we would make a difference in the documentary film initiative. But then what we would do is on the next night, we would host uh, in our home for a long time. Um, my, my wife, my now wife and I, um, we would host a potluck. We would make the main dish, but it would be a main dish that celebrated the person who was there. So like, uh, you know, when, uh, Tyler, uh, um, Tyler and Tandy, Tyler Brown and Tandy Wilson came as friends who were like a community in, in Nashville, we made Nashville hot chicken, but then all, all we would invite industry folks. Uh, it would be like a low entry. I think it was like $25 and everyone would bring a dish. Mm. And so we raised money, but then we would, we would have, the guest chef there to like be in conversation with all the local folks who were in food. And that was kind of my way of getting on the same side of things with, 
with everybody else, which was where I felt like we were and wanted to be, but that we could all take time together and do that. So now we have all these, you know, the, the charitable things that we get to work on, where now we've got this amazing community that that was my way of finding my connection with that community. And that was many years ago. And now, you know, um, I think everyone has invested time to build a, a, a whole different level of food community here that then we, you know, that we in some ways mirror beautiful things that we see in other communities. And then sometimes when folks are here cooking with us in this community, they're inspired by what they see mm. happening back and forth here as well. So, And, you know, I know that you say that you're cooking and doing events that are focused solely on you, but you've been really open and supportive of a lot of issues that are not just food related or dish yeah. related or things like that, but a lot of the issues that go within hand in hand, the yeah. darker side of the chef world with, mm-hmm. um, you know, workplace relationships, drug use, alcoholism and things like that. Yeah. Why is it, important for you to share that side of your experience and how has it helped other people? Yeah. You know, I think that um, coming from a time period, like I was kind of on the, um, I think I look back and think of what the -hmm. industry looked like Mm -hmm. when I was a young cook. And, and, And I had kind of a unique experience in that everything I ever did from the time I was like 14 years old, I kind of, you know, I pushed myself very hard. I taught myself a lot. I looked for all the ways I could learn from others. Um, But I always found myself in management very early, you know, like um, I, you know, I would go out and like stage somewhere. And when Mm -hmm. when I say stage, I don't mean like a true, like working somewhere for months and months, but I would go and like grab a couple days through someone that I knew in someone else's kitchen and I would try and, you know, I could see the things that, uh, in most cases, I was going to places that were very respectful places. You know, I know a lot of things that yeah. no one could ever see who was visiting a kitchen uh, came out, you know, later about a number of, importantly so, a mm-hmm. number of places. But mm-hmm. um, I was able to, you know, have these great experiences, learn a lot about food that I was not um, not a part of my natural path. And then to really like, I was kind of in control of my environment in a, in a lot of ways, just being in management early, becoming a chef, um, you know, what, before I was even comfortable being called a chef, you know, like, oh, I just feel like a cook who's cooking with other cooks, you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. but then you realize how much of that role and the importance of that title is about leadership. And, yes. Um, so I think to your, to your question and speaking up about things, um, observations, uh, you know, in some cases it wasn't anything I had been through. It might be something that I could look at from afar and go, mm-hmm. what well, is the practice mm-hmm. we have in place? Mm-hmm. Or here's a practice that this situation that happened somewhere else or, or in our place has inspired, you know? And so, um, as far as, you know, work, workplace culture goes and, and then, um, practices that have been unhealthy to our industry, you know, I think we, before even looking at my myself um, with a much, uh, you know, much closer, mm-hmm. closer zoom in, um, you know, we started to see the things that just felt very obvious to us yeah. that we didn't want to be a part of things from, uh, you know, we were, we were never a restaurant that like 
people drank on the line or drank behind the bar, uh, at least not to, to our knowledge, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever group that really, uh, you saw that and, and you do, you do see that places, which yeah. I think is, is, uh, tough, but, um, we, st- you know, we were definitely came up in a time where people sat down, had a shift drink. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We, as we started to open new places like death and taxes, like poolside pies, we removed that from our practices mm. and ultimately removed it as something that existed from our, from our restaurants. And, you know, like to, you could just see it as so obvious, like someone who maybe wasn't planning on sitting down to have a drink, but they view it as like a, a benefit of, of the job. Sure, sure. And it's like, you know, now I'm going home and you watch somebody and, and folks go like, Hey, hang out and have one with us. And I go, ah, it's never know. just one. It's and never it's just, just like, one. You know, it's the start. It's yeah. The start. It's never just one. And even if it is, if it wasn't something someone was going to do, instead they're going to go home and be with their family. Yeah. I'm a, big, I'm a big believer in, you know, I love, you know, I think there are natural close relationships in restaurants. Um, I'm a big believer in I am not your family. I'm your crew. Yeah. And you can be really tight with your crew and you can take great care of your crew. But there's at the end of the day, I want you to feel like you want to go home to your family 100%. or you want to go home to building a life that one day you want to share with your family. So and I think those things can be really beautiful things in coexistence. And I think respect for those things makes each of those things better. Right. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, uh, you know, with um not so long ago, I, I shared publicly, and this is always a, sort of an interesting thing to talk about, um, my uh, struggle with alcohol, which mm. I've, always, I've always been a drinker. Yeah. Um, I've always been someone who had a really good time and yeah. was yeah. somewhat famous for holding my alcohol very well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, you know, no longer uh, a point of a point of pride for me. But uh, going through, um, you know, looking back, I would say like, yeah, I always drank a lot. I know a lot of people who do, you know, and, and, you know, kept it together for the most part. That doesn't mean it was okay. You know? sure, but sure. Uh, going through um, the pandemic, uh, lots of, you know, just the world was a yeah. wild place. And like, you know, people will talk about it and go like, oh, everyone's so emotional. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> a lot it was an emotional time, yeah. but still emotional. Yeah. Pandemic, emotional time. Um, and, you know, I think like <clears throat> things that no one ever even had to think about thinking about for as I think about like what employees were emotionally going through. And then as, you know, <clears throat> in in my position, um, you know, closing restaurants and really not really not having any idea of what we were needing to prepare ourselves for. I thought about this just the other day. It was like there were the knowns and the great unknowns, you know, and they were equally scary. Um, we lost, uh, my wife and I uh, had a pit bull who was diagnosed mm. with, um, she was seven, she was six years old at the time. She was diagnosed with lymphoma right before the pandemic. And she went through a year of chemo. We had to put her down like right at the beginning of the pandemic. It was just like this, like yeah. right now, this is terrible. Um, but then my, <clears throat> my father died during the oh, pandemic man. as well. So I'm it was so like, sorry. thank you. And I know a lot of people lost people, um, you know, it, and there were just things going on every day that were more stressful than, than usual. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a lot of things, I think in being, I think we were all a little bit, um, isolated, of course, intentionally so during the pandemic. 
And I had a little bit of a tough time shaking the isolation after, especially mm-hmm. with the things that, mm-hmm. that happened. And I just, you know, was experiencing um, some depression, which, uh, you know, I, I've always had mm-hmm. uh, a tendency to like, it, but, but some, you know, I've always felt like it's kind of controllable if I just, if I just, you know, am disciplined, I can get through it. Of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know better now, you know, but um, with alcohol, uh, you know, it runs very, uh, thick in my family, um, mm. as a disease and, or alcoholism. Um, and you know, it, maybe it was something that I could have controlled had certain things not happened, which means I probably couldn't have controlled it. <laughs> yeah. Cause life <laughs> happens. Know? Yeah. It's, things it was happen. pretty well, and then it wasn't, you know, and so but that's, it, it, that's yeah. depression. I mean, I, yeah. I, I understand it too. I have it too. Totally. It's just like, yeah everything's good. And then like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and you know, I started to take a really acknowledge my anxiety, like my job. I've definitely thought of as like an extrovert. I have a very public job. One of my jobs is people hire me to, you know, hang out and talk and give a presentation. And, you know, so there are all these things that started to become, uh, really taxing to me. Mm. And one of the, one of the things that, you know, for me that I would do to take the edge off is like, Oh, I'm gonna have a drink before I, before I speak at this cocktail party, you know, like I'm being paid to go to a cocktail party (laughs) and like, you know, talk with guests and, uh, you know, have a drink, have two drinks. Yeah. yeah. And so I started to, that started to become, you know, the thing that would polish off my anxiety a little bit. And then, mm. you know, and then as everything sort of came together uh, and totaled up, it's like between the, de- the depression, the mm-hmm. not knowing what's, you know, the, the financial insecurity, the yeah, yeah. total insecurity around how to be someone who provides um, opportunity for other people when we don't know what is what is next. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of things sort of added up, and I found I found that I was, you know, isolating more. Um, I had a tendency to, as someone who used to, you know, go out and have drinks with friends, I was more prone to get home and have a few drinks and yeah, probably yeah. pretty strong drinks. And yeah. and at times. Yeah. You know, which I think this is one of sort of the definitions of of alcoholism is like um, one of the many definitions, uh, you know, getting a buzz, but not stopping like it just being like, well, this feels pretty good. Uh, I'm going to, you know, just kind of numbing out the things that that I didn't really want to be. I didn't know how to manage and and deal with. And of course, the natural um, progress of that is that it's harder you know the next day is tougher Uh, as an adult i don't i don't know about you but like as an adult like hangovers are extremely depressing (laughs) i mean that's very like i caused this to myself i brought this upon myself Mm. yeah totally so um i you know tried it and again more kind of like acknowledgement that this was going to be hard I tried to quit and it was hard. You know, I spent six months trying to quit and that's with, you know, going to meetings and a 12 step program, um, having a a psychiatrist, um, having, you know, having a a sponsor. um, And just, I found that at that time I was kind of, when I would relapse, I was usually Mm -hmm. like 
drinking at a problem, you know, drinking like yes, yes, mad yes. that I had to quit. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then one day I was just kind of ready. And a big part of that for me was, um, was being honest with all those people who are trying to help me. Like, you know, my, yeah. the first thing I did was to be completely honest with my physical doctor, which was a first, just even in the tiniest ways, like, you know, how much do you drink? You know, it's like, oh, uh, I'm in the business. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, I'm business. That like, question like, oh, is, yeah. yeah. It's like, like two. Yeah. Three. A couple. A couple. What's your uh, definition of a couple? You know, like, like every third Tuesday, I just, I don't even touch the stuff. I don't yeah. even touch it. You know, yeah. fourth well, Wednesdays, I'm, I'm dry. But no, I, I, yeah, it's, totally. I get it. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough time and, and, the honesty and I think with all of your work in the support community has been yeah really great because I think a lot of people, especially now when you're starting out, you see the end point of it. And I, and there's been more discussions that you don't have to go through this way. Like the, you know, the Bourdain cocaine elephant walks down right. the bar and like, there's, right. There's more work life balance and things like that. But the flip side of that is like, Oh, well I, I'm not on the other side of that. Like I am still struggling with all these yeah. feelings, things like that, but it feels like the community has moved on. So now I feel out of step with my community and like, so, you know, who do I look to? And it's great to know that yeah. people can look to what you said. Um, well, and I think yeah. a great um, sort of something I'd love to touch on. Of course. First, first of all, um, when I, when I was trying to get sober, I wasn't fully doing it for me. You know, I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, my, my wife was concerned. We had a lot of talks mm-hmm. about it and, and, uh, you know, really like folks I was very close with, I was honest with about having this challenge about it and trying to get through it. Um, and then it's sort of like in my head, if I made it for other people, I could do it. Cause I do all these other things for other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But in fact, that is like kind of the worst way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it failed, you know? And so when I finally kind of flipped that switch and, and, you know, said, I, I'm, I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to try all the things that I keep finding reasons why they shouldn't work. I'm just going to do it. And I did. And last Saturday I had um, six months. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, something that I think is kind of a neat circle back on all of this. So one of my uh, food mentors, we, we met just through mutual friends uh, is Michael Solomonov uh, of Zahav in mm-hmm. Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Yep. Zahav and many other projects, but um Michael, uh, first of all, is like just a great friend and we talk about food a lot. We talk about, you know, um, hospitality and managing challenges, all those things, but he has been sober for yeah. a long time now. And, um, he, he was a really great, you know, I, I talked to him when I started trying and then I went and spent, uh, a, a couple of, uh, days with, with him, um, at the beginning of this six months, I was about a weekend and I went to celebrate what I think was his 14 year, wow. uh, 14 years of sobriety. And, and I, I talk about this because I, I know that Michael shares this story a lot and I, I know that he would be comfortable with this, but I went to dinner after he uh, picked up his chip. We went to dinner with some of his friends who all work in the hospitality industry. And we were sitting there and we're like, all I'm seven days into trying to get sober yeah. one more time, you know, yeah. and I was feeling a little better, but still not, you know, just there's, there's so many emotions in it from shame to no, no, no. Yeah. failure and, you know, all these things. And, um, it was great to, to be there and to be, be hanging out with him. But 
I realized I was just sitting there. We're all t- telling these stories and, and people are at all different time periods of how long they've been sober for. And, and it just sort of hit me like, oh, wow, everyone, I haven't been out to dinner maybe ever with a group of people mm. who were all sober. And, you know, I'd really been, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't enjoying going out with my friends and I couldn't put, couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, I, got it. I stayed with Mike and his wife uh, at their house that night. And, and the next morning I got up and I was, Mike and I went and got coffee and I was just like, I slept so well. I was yeah. feeling really good. And I said, man, you know what I realized I had such a good time last night. Like I laughed, I was funny. I was open and everyone was, and I just, it was the first time I've been to dinner since starting this journey where I wasn't worried about anyone else and nobody was worried about me. Mm. Everyone was fine. You know, whereas you're trying to like reacclimate yeah, yeah, and everyone's yeah, just yeah. on pins and needles and you just feel it. And if one of the things that drove you to drink was anxiety, then <laughs> right. you're sitting there with your shoulders tapping your ears, you know? And so, um, so that was like, you know, it's really cool for me to have someone like, someone like Mike, who is such a, for my whole world, he's a tremendous mentor, you know, oh, yeah. uh, but, it, but the sobriety piece of it has, it's been awesome to have someone who has a life like the life I am working towards, you know, and so in this journey. So, yeah, it's, uh, but, but as far as, you know, what we share and doing work on, on these subjects, um, one of the most important things I think I can do um, is as a leader to create space around this conversation. Mm. And because we know, right, that that this is anything related to mental health, which I, I think this is very related to for me, 100%, yep. mental health, um, that people have a lot of they keep this stuff in and often too many times until it's too late, you know, and so um early on uh, in this six month period, right after I came back from Philadelphia, I came back, I think on a Saturday and on a Sunday, I shared about this journey because so much of my life is public. It's one of the things that feeds me a lot of energy and sometimes feeds me a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, So I felt like by sharing that I could, um, I could have a, um, higher level of accountability with myself mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and um you know i quickly learned from the response to it how ready for that conversation the community is 100 um, you know it was wild like i had a friend who's in the industry who was on the same day count as i was wow. at that point. um friends who had been sober for like seven years and i had no idea who just reached out and said hey i don't talk about this a lot but i just wanted you to know to, you know, folks who are like my brother, my husband, my, you know, are, sure, are struggling with sure. this right now. You being public about this really helped us have some conversations around it. And and that's amazing, you know, and so I, that's one of the places that I, I feel like also will continue. I've got to want this for myself, uh, but it definitely feeds me something really positive and fueling to know that some of these days are hard, but if I keep at it and I keep sharing, you know, I keep sharing with the folks who surround me um, and, and keep making space in that conversation that it, it's bound to, bound to help some people. And that makes me very happy. Amazing. I mean, it's beautiful. Uh, I want to take a quick musical break and then yeah. I want to get into your love of music and yeah. the upcoming Hot Luck Music Festival, which we'll both be at. 
And awesome. we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Chef Ashley Christensen, who is a chef, restaurant owner in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, one of the shared communities that we're both a part of is the music community. And we are actually going to be in Austin together to celebrate food and music at the Hot Luck Festival over Memorial Day weekend, which I'm super excited to go down to. Those guys are great to put it on and I'm excited to try your food. Now, you've done a lot of events, and this will not be your first rodeo, <laughs> but as I see more chefs do more food events, what is the advice you would give them in putting up a dish to really represent yourself and to also stay true to the event itself? Because sometimes you go to an event and it's just like, why, what's this, what's this tostada or like, what's this yeah. crostini or like... What are they doing? It has nothing to do with the event because, you know, this is like Texas. It's a lot of fire. It's a lot of barbecue. There's a lot of music. What's your approach? What's your thinking? How do you set your mindset for each event that you do? Yeah. Um, first of all, I love hot luck. And, oh, my God. It's the uh, best. The, Aaron, Aaron Franklin is best of the best and best. Got, got, you know, got a, got a, a, a foot in each uh, 
each pool of, of music and food and um yeah so very excited to be heading back there i think i've been hitting up that festival since uh I've made, aaron was just here cooking an auction item from a different uh nice. different uh, event with with us in raleigh and I, I he mentioned i think i've been there since the first hot luck and i'll also say that uh two events that are always on my calendar are chris shepherd's southern smoke and aaron franklin's hot luck i i when i'm doing the calendar year out i'm like guys when are the dates? So, um, but advice for folks cooking at, uh, at an event like this, um, you know, I, I think that there's a tendency to want to go and like do new food, you know, and I think you can do that to a degree, but I think you got to do that thing that you do because people really can taste that in food, taste the story, taste the experience. So I think if you're traveling somewhere and going to, to put up your, uh, your, your dish to, tell the story. And that's always one of my goals. I've always justified travel uh, because it gave us the, the chance to tell a little bit of our, the story of Raleigh and, mm. and Raleigh, no matter where we're going. But uh, yeah, I like to think about techniques that I enjoy. I think about ingredients that, that I work with and that often if I'm going somewhere else that I might want to showcase from our season or, or, you know, from folks who grow things that we love. Um, and then I think about, you know, something like hot luck. It's, it's a little bit like stages at, uh, at a big mm -hmm, music festival. Mm -hmm, we of mm -hmm. course have music as an element of this, but uh, rap, music and food wrapped around each other in this neat way. But I am, um, my event is the carnival themed event. I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm, what the, mm -hmm. It's the Friday night event. Yeah. The carnival. Yeah. What's the name? It's the new event uh, yeah. that they're doing that has carnival rides and things like that. Yeah, I want to make sure I can say it on. <laughs> um, it should. It is the uh, Big Top Fair Market. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my event this year is the Big Top Fair Market. So we wanted to um, find a way to do something fun with ingredients we love, but to do it in the theme of what folks are looking for when they come to an event like that. So we are doing, we use this really beautiful buttermilk cheddar mm -hmm. um, from Tennessee. Uh, it's something that um, Tandy Wilson turned me on two years ago. We put it, it's one of the main ingredients in our tomato pie. It's like a really tangy cheddar cheese. Um, and we're going to take that. And when I was a little kid and I used to go to the uh, here, so I grew up in Kernersville. We used to go to the mall in Winston Salem at a place called Haynes Mall, and they had one of those corn dog on a stick places. And one of the things they always had was the corn cheese, which was like mm -hmm. uh, a, a chunk of cheese dipped in um, you know, corn dog mix or whatever. So we're making, we take a nice chunk of this cheese, and we get some blue cornmeal from Anson Mills. And we make like a beautiful little um, dip batter out of that. And so we're doing this blue cornmeal fried cheese mm. on a stick. And that feels very carnival to me. Um, mm. Yeah. And then we're doing, um, we're, we're thinking like, okay, something like that. You're going to dip in what? Ranch. Like yes. that's the thing people have in mind. So we'll make a, with really good buttermilk, like a fresh buttermilk herb. But we also just got a bunch of ramps in. So I'll do a couple Ooh. of things. Yeah, we'll, we'll take some pickled ramp bulbs, a little ramp puree, um, a little bit of the pickling juice, and we'll make that part of the dressing. Uh, I'll also, um, my wife wanted one of those countertop uh, composters uh, mm -hmm. last year for her birthday. 
and we got it. We made some compost and then I immediately took it over and made it a kitchen tool where I'll take like an ingredient, add a little vinegar and salt to it. And it'll turn it into like a beautiful roasted powder by the next day. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so we'll take some ramps and do that. And then we'll put some crushed tortillas and corn nuts, like a little crumble on top of it. So oh my God. Well, that's my I, version of that's my version of Big Top. Uh, I, I will be first in line for that. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, before we go, I know you're a huge music fan and I know summertime is here. Uh, yeah. A lot of bands on tour. What are your plans? Who are you going to see this summer? What do you got on the on the docket for tickets? Yeah, I've got um, Wednesday. I'm going to see Lizzo here in Raleigh. Ooh. Flying into uh, to Philly to catch a little bit of that uh, T Swift tour on Saturday. Eras tour, cannot miss it. Oh man, I'm so excited. Um, I've got for later uh, this summer. I've got uh, some very good seats at our performing arts center to see Bruce Hornsby. Uh, yeah, who? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge when, Hornsby fan. You was at your wedding, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. he did drop in and you play. Did drop in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to my good friend uh, producer Brad Cook and uh, yeah. and and that crew. But uh, yeah, um, try to think what else. I you know, it's funny. I was showing. I'm with my mom for her birthday. Oh, and happy birthday, watched, mom! Yeah, happy birthday, mom. We uh, we watched a movie last night. It was so great to hear like. I love hearing Sharon Von Etten uh, mm-hmm. pop into a soundtrack these days. So, um, but thinking about Austin, you know, one of, one of the things oh, yeah. I'm really excited about, uh, Aaron does a beautiful job curating all that, that music. Um, uh, but Austin is also one of those towns where you just kind of walk around. Just, I love cities where you can walk around, just pop into a bar and, and catch the most amazing live live jams happening. So Yeah, I mean, look, I'm excited to see Robert Ellis, but also if I can just go up and down Red River when the festival's going on, there's so many shows that they're putting on and just oh, it's yeah. very great. So we'll, we'll oh, have yeah. to, after we uh, punish our bodies with funnel cakes and cheese curds and yes. corn dogs and... We'll go. We'll go work it out on the dance floor somewhere. Yeah, in Austin. My, my my other two that I want to track down this summer are uh, uh, Mike, uh, who lives here, who has his Golden Messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just announced uh, another tour, um, and then I, I saw the Sylvanesso tour yes. uh, yep. announced. So I excited to. I always think that's a great reason to travel, right? To pick a pick a show you're dying to see and, and get there. So. It's so fun to be like, we're going to town, we're going to get a couple of meals, and on Saturday night we're going to see a show. Heck yeah. I mean, look, you could go, you could do worse than having some decent golf hummus and then going to see T-Swift this summer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, well, Ashley, I cannot thank you enough for sitting down and sharing all the stories and everything with us. Um, if people want to follow along, I mean, you have so many things that have opened, Death and Taxes, Pools Diner. Uh, you have a ton of stuff. I mean, we could spend another hour talking and things like that. Yeah, I, I will tell you next week, uh, we are reopening Fox Liquor Bar. Yes, uh, you are. With with uh, We're real excited about that. So, so yeah, so Fox Liquor Bar is reopening. Um, if people want to check it out, people want to follow along, there's a million things going on. Where can they go? What can they do? Where can they check it out? Yeah, uh, I, I generally tend to celebrate everything on on my Instagram at some point, which is uh, Ashley underscore Christensen. And uh, but if you just visit ac-restaurants.com, you'll see all of all the places under our uh, petite little umbrella in downtown Raleigh. And uh, we can keep you keep you in the know. But come see us in Raleigh. Amazing. Well, come see you in Raleigh. And first, I'm going to come see you in Austin. 
Um, thank you so much. Big shout out to Remy and Bailey for helping set this up. Yes, uh, yes. Big shout out to the Hot Luck guys as well. We have another song from the archives and then a musical performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. 
Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. I want to welcome to the show Mountain Animation. What's up, guys? How hey, you doing? Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. And uh, again, my apologies. The album is out and climbing the charts, as they used to say. I don't know if anyone says climbing the charts anymore. Uh, do you guys want to introduce yourself? I'm Zach. I'm Scott. Um, how did you... Well, I know that my brother came across you guys busking in the subway. That's actually how we met. So, yes, yeah, that's, yeah. How, that's how that's you guys met. And uh, I, th- I thank you guys for uh, following up on the email and coming on the show. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, how did you two guys meet? We met in the, in the subway, actually. So, well, yeah, all of this is happening. How did the, you two uh, meet, though? Oh, in, in, the, in the subway. Scotland. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, the L train was broken. Imagine that. So uh, It was broken today, actually. I, I, got here, I got here a lot later than I thought I would. Wow. Spooky. Broken L train. What are the chances? Um, so the L train was broken. Yeah, so I went to... Uh, I just hit my head on a dead animal. Um, I went to uh, the Delancey Street stop and... Uh, Scott was there playing violin, and I had a banjo, so uh, we quickly accidentally formed a, sort of a bluegrass-sounding band and then realized that that's not what we wanted to do at all and, uh, and went back to, you know, loud, progressive, avant-garde rock with banjos and violins. Wow, um, what's, your, what's your background? Are you guys from New York? Or? Uh, I've been here for about 15 years. So. Okay. That counts. Yeah, that, that's New York. I, I, I was trying. I always try trying like to figure like what's the is it eight years? Is it seven years? And like you just you're a New Yorker at that point. Yeah, or it's every other second you are and aren't. Because, yeah, you're just like <laughs> you know you almost get like an old New York accent, and you're yeah. like I don't understand this. I, I just want to go back. to yeah. wherever I came Sweetener, from, which I don't remember. Yeah, because I don't have enough room in my head. Um, it's crazy because sometimes you know buskers are. I don't want to say territorial because I know there's a community, <clears> but for you guys to like, wind up jamming together on the subway is a pretty awesome story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had never been to that territory, so... Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Scott had been there a couple times, so... Yeah. And you, you After just After a brief fisticuffs with... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had to friends. square off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, like, I like the cut of your jib and the way you swing <laughs> that banjo, sir. Um, and how about you? How long have you been in New York? Oh, four, three years. And where, where are you coming from? Uh, the Midwest, kind of North Dakota and Colorado. Okay, okay. So like blank slate, essentially. I was not <laughs> where? a person. Yeah, where? Who knows? Over the land of open spaces. Yeah. So then, how did you? So you did want to do bluegrass. You have this new sound, and how did that sort of? Because uh, the music you play is not exactly what I would think would be coming out of the instruments. That you have, oh, thank you. Um, which is exciting because I always love to see like instruments re- in the sound repurposed into a different genre. How did you guys sort of stumble upon it, or how did it evolve? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, well, 
I think we just started buying amps. Yeah. And when, we, when we got louder and started playing louder shows, we realized it. We didn't want to sound Wait, like so you run, you run your banjo... Yeah, violin through amps. And, it, so, oh wow! Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a. And that's not a, that's not a super common thing, is it? Um, no. It, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, it's through, it's. No, it, I don't like think I've. I, yeah. I don't think I've really ever seen a banjo through. Yeah, an amp. I've never seen a banjo through an amp. And I, I mean, I grew up in North Georgia, so I've seen a lot of banjos and dulcimers and everything like that. But I, I never saw like amplified. To yeah, it's relatively new technology. It's normally like little microphones on banjos. Yeah, and stuff. awesome. And I tried everything. And they all just uh, sounded, you know, inadequate for. A big stage. So. Awesome. Uh, well, you guys want to play a song? You guys want to rip us something? Yeah. Uh, what do you want to play first? Uh, Survey Survive. Awesome. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Mountain Animation, live on Snacky Tunes.
Oh, man. I've that... seen a number of performances on your show, and I've listened to a lot more, but I don't know if I've seen that energy. No. That's big. That's big on a Sunday afternoon, too. I could call yeah. around the corner. Oh, man. That is... Uh... Dude, that's great. Um, so how does it work? How do you guys write? Yeah. I mean, like, what's the process? Oh, uh, dude, we ha- um, I had some old songs that we uh, sort of amped up, because Scott can, like... Has a way of making your sound. Eight yeah, he times definitely takes really it to that fast. next level. Yeah, <laughs> and then other ones. Uh, yeah, we we play in the subway sometimes and just you know kick out a kick out a jam using the walls and you get to you know kind of write in front of you know a thousand people in an hour like you'll see like get all this inspiration and stuff like that. How much is uh, freestyle jam in the subways and how much is you know you got the new album so you like practicing songs for the next show or is uh, there a mix? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, totally. Yeah, the perfect. Perfect mix, right? I mean, you're not. Are you singing much in the subway, though? Yeah, yeah, totally singing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. how does that? You know, you don't have a. Do you have amps in the subway as well? Oh no, just a louder voice. Just a louder subway. voice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and it's you know, get the walls down there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Make yeah. some noise. Um, so let's talk about the new album. Okay. Uh, big old epic bunch of tunes. Sounds awesome. Sounds great. Um, what was the writing process on that? A lot of. Uh, Songs coming from your subway sessions and then just growing, or just going to the studio just with a bunch of fresh ideas and, and put something together. Well, we call it a tesseract flapjack tesseract flashback uh, for several reasons, but one of them was uh, that there's a couple of uh, tunes that I wrote a long time ago. You yeah. know, we just you know took in a new direction or several new directions, and then some songs that it seemed like were kind of like from the future or something. You know, like of of our next sound coming, and then some stuff from from recent times that we've been working on, like, tour yeah. half the time. and You guys tour a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, what how, does, the, how does the touring work? Do you guys just book yourselves, or um, yeah, just yeah, kind of get in just, a van and go? Or do you, do you guys even need a van? I mean, it's just the two of you, right? Yeah, we just drive a little two-door. <laughs> get a, Prius. a little smart car across, across yeah, America. totally. Pick up as many people as possible and have the clown car effect at the shows. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I mean, what network? Where do you guys play? Like, what are some of the? What's your normal circuit? Normal circuit is like jet out to the Rockies and then go up and down the Rockies and up and down the West Coast. And uh, and this year we're gonna finally get to the South. Oh, nice project. And nice. Then, uh, Northeast has always been great. We just keep on meeting more and more wonderful people. But you I, book you book the shows yourselves. And oh yeah, yeah. There's no agent. You just call up your your network of friends and yeah, people that just are email in the community. Us. <laughs> totally. Call me. Yeah, yeah, just just call us and just call you. We'll call you back. Have, have have car. Have instruments. We'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, when you guys, are t- I don't know. You guys have a vibe where and a feeling that like you guys will play and can jam with anyone. I feel like there's some magical mystery with you guys where just, like, you could be in a town and, like, a show would just happen. Yeah, we played at a metal bar outside of Chicago on our last tour. Yeah, in the dead of winter. That was amazing. Really? (laughs) What was that? How did that work out? It was great because our our friend uh, said, oh, I got this great spot in this uh, little, you know, winter festival indoors for you. And, you know, there's not going to be a back line of amps there because it's in between two acoustic acts. And we showed up, and the, the one before was definitely one of the hardest bands I've ever seen. Acoustic? Just, oh, no, hardcore punk. Oh, yeah, they had, they oh, had, they had stacks. <laughs> yeah. And big muscles, and they were awesome. Dude, one of my that's... favorite bands, actually. The Kreutzer Sonata. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. They were fantastic. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I mean, and is it just the two of you? Do you guys bring anyone with you on the road? Um... We brought uh, the boss on the last one. Our friend, our friend Jesse. She's our boss. Nickname the boss. Yeah, because she she's got the the iPod. Oh yeah, yeah. She just kills it. Like, and when you guys on the road, you guys are you guys cooking a lot, or you guys just uh, like? It's really fun on this last one because we took a rice cooker with a little steamer. Oh yeah, to it. So just like rice on the bottom, tempeh on top, and uh, two guys and a rice cooker. Yeah, it's like America. the cheapest tour. I mean, was, but but how does it work? Do you like pull into a gas station? You're like, do you guys have like somewhere where we can plug in and like make oh, our we meal? Oh, we would or? cook it at the hotel in the morning. Oh, or whatever, oh. and then just keep it in the trunk. Yeah, we did that. The first time we did it was like in the middle of Nebraska. Pulled into a gas station where, of course, you know, no matter what you eat, there's probably not food for you. No, 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 no. They don't have tempeh. <laughs> no, uh, they're not. That's not gonna happen. Pop I'm sorry, sir. What warm. sort of uh, alternate wheat glutens do you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's. I mean, that's those rice cookers are so versatile. I mean, it's a pressure cooker. It's mm-hmm. they're so good. Yeah, they're so good. And then you know, you get just have a bottle of sriracha, maybe some soy sauce. Oh, yes, and, absolutely. Yeah, some some of those amino acids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rice and beans. Yeah, totally done. <laughs> um, you guys want to play another song? Love to. Okay, what we got? What do we have? What do we have? Want to do way too much? Oh sure. Yeah. All right, way too much by Mountain Animation live here on Snacky Two. <laughs>
So amazing. Whew. Heating it up in here. Yeah, that, that, that we AC. definitely have to turn on the AC. Though. <laughs> it's on. It's not working. Um, so, uh, summer's coming up. Uh, what's, what's, on, what's in store? What's on tour? Uh, big old west. Uh, but this time we're going to avoid uh, Death Valley in the summer and we're going to avoid Chicago in the winter. Uh, We've got it down. We're going to be good birds. It builds character. <laughs> it builds character. Yeah, I, we have enough character in melted instruments. I mean, those, I'll take that heat over Chicago winter. That's Ooh, 130 I, degrees. No way. I will definitely take Chicago or a New York winter, to be honest. Yeah. Oh my God. It's real bad driving through there. That's That sucks, man. I don't I don't like sweating. Yeah, 120 at night. Yeah, it's too <laughs> Cool. See you in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you guys are just going to hop in the, the two-door smart car. 
drive all around, hit the rocks, things like that. Um, and the album, where can people get the album? Oh, it's uh, it's on our Bandcamp. Man, Feel shout like out to Bandcamp. Bandcamp yes. is the best. Seriously, like talk about a, a game changer of a website. Like really, just cutting it out all that red tape bullshit. Just getting the album and the music out to the people. Yes. Uh, and the fact that they do like they do like once a week free albums for certain bands is just. It's so awesome as well. Yeah, the whole system's great. The whole system's great. Can I ask, do you guys do merch? Do you guys do t-shirts and things like that? I feel... We're working on the whole package that's coming out with the... Uh... I'm sorry, man. That, that bore's head. <laughs> like, I, I know. Um, but you guys are working on stuff? Yeah, yeah. We have CDs, uh, and we're working on getting some vinyl and tapes and t-shirts. That'll come out middle of the summer. Isn't it crazy to me that the, the tapes are back? Oh, that's oh, so great! Cool. I know, I mean, it's it's awesome, but uh, they've definitely had the, like, revitalization, but I don't have a tape player anymore. Yeah. Yeah, everybody in L.A. is just buying a tape player for their car, you know? Yeah, yeah I know, but, because, like, I know they're all, like, the limited, like, edition tapes and things like that, like, legit cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, because you can't have a record player in Los Angeles because you're always in your car, so... Well, and they definitely don't thing. make record players for cars anymore. Not yet. I mean, Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, all right, cool. My family once had an 8-track player there. Oh. Yeah, uh, that'd be really funny. I don't think that technology to record onto 8-tracks anymore exists. Damn no, it. I think that's that, that's gone. That's done. That'd be really funny if they were, if they were doing 8-track. Uh, like, bands would be like, oh, yeah, we got like a new 8-track coming out. It's pretty cool. Oh, laser um, disc player for the kids in the back, so they can see the. <laughs> yeah, laser disc player for the kids, a track for the parents. Summer's on fire. Uh, well, so we're gonna fit one more song, but I want to thank all of our special guests. Thank you, Carter, for coming. Of course, Marianne, thank you so much. With pleasure. Uh, Elaine, thank you so much. I know that you were a little late. Just shout out. How are you? Good afternoon. How are you? Good. Everything good with you? Yeah, wine is awesome. Yes, well, you can thank Marianne for that. Thank you so much for that. We'll have you back on. We'll, we'll figure some out some time. Um, and shout out to everybody who's listening. We're back next week with another show. I'm sure it's going to be fun. And it's, I, I don't want to jinx it, but I feel like summer... Well, the rosé is getting to me a little bit, so I feel like the summer is here. Um, Suda France Festival coming out. Mountain Animation. Uh, on tour. Get the album. The album's great. Awesome. Uh, I just really want to say thanks to the guys at the headroom this is our first gig since we released the album they recorded it they did awesome thanks kyle and joe you're the best yeah shout out to the producers awesome. shout out to heritage jack aaron everybody yeah thank you thank you darren it's always a pleasure to be, oh to be here it's such a fantastic show oh you're making Bye. me blush no, no my please, cheeks are please. my <laughs> cheeks are a shade of rosé um and for everybody uh who wants to come out we're doing our barbecue blowouts again um, in May with Estella and Turing Machine will be DJing. It's a BBQ Blowout May 2014.eventbrite.com or just search Barbecue Blowout. Yeah, I would say nobody is going to remember that. No one's going to remember that. Um, but come to the Blowout. Anyway. Come to the they're, blowout. they're awesome. God, if we still updated our website, I'd say go there, but we haven't written a post in maybe three years. Uh, anyway, or just hit us at... Um, I don't know. Just hit Heritage Radio Network and we'll get all the info because they're one of the sponsors. Um, thank you so much. Once One last song. What's, what do you got for us? We got uh, Bring Him Home, which is written by my cat Nimbus. Uh, she plays the bass. Uh, she's taking a nap right now. Oh. So she couldn't be uh, with us. Okay. Here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you in a week.
Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.